Get ready to listen, learn, and earn CE hours. This podcast features content from an accredited CE activity provided by Calibri Healthcare. Visit EliteLearning.com slash podcasts for accreditation and disclosure statements and instructions on how you may be able to earn CE credits. Welcome to our continuing discussion on MPOX or monkeypox, as many people are uh, familiar with. I'm Leanna McGuire, your host for this Elite Learning podcast series, and our guest is Dr. Daniel Griffin. Dr. Griffin is a, a physician scientist, board certified in internal medicine and infectious disease with expertise in global health, tropical medicine, parasitology and virology, including SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19 as we know it. Welcome again, Dr. Griffin. Oh, thank you. And this is part two of our discussion on MPOX, and we've had some really interesting information thus far. Can we talk about MPOX and uh, is, is it endemic or pandemic? So certainly, I think a lot of people are asking this question, is it over? Will this go to zero? Is it gone? Or are we, we can always have a, a, a slow number of cases and then it will bubble up with these uh, periodic increases. And, and uh, you know, time will tell, but the, the suggestion is that this is probably here to stay. And, and, and why do we say that? What makes it now endemic, something that is here, something that is going to be at a low level that will periodically see cases? Um, one, of the, one of the things is just how many cases we had 30,000 cases across the country, widespread across the country. So um, that's one thing that the virus is widespread across our country. So that's number one. Number two is it's not always that easy to diagnose. Um, it can present with these um, less than classic manifestations, can go unrecognized, um, can actually spread to others before we get a handle on it. Um, another is the long incubation period. You can get mm. exposed and not actually get sick for one, two, three weeks. So there can wow. be a period of time when you're not seeing cases and then all of a sudden you see a case and then that person may have actually spread it to others because they didn't know what it was. Um, Another feature, and this is a little bit troubling, is that this virus does not restrict itself just to human beings, can actually affect other mammalian species. So rodents, um, we talked about uh, the prairie dogs on the prior episode. Um, so there's always that concern that it may not be in, in humans, it may get into one of these other reservoirs and then may spill back. Um, so there are really a number of features here that, that suggest that the most likely outcome um, is for this to become endemic. Okay. Now, Will this morph at any point or will it basically stay as is? Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's a great question. And, you know, one of the things that hopefully people have learned over the last three years is viruses mutate. That That's mm -hmm. what they do. Um, and so this virus, um, you know, the, the way we could tell exactly where it came from, the way we could track a lot of the spread is that this virus is constantly mutating. There's no one monkeypox or mpox virus. Um, there are several. There, there's already two different clades as far as different areas of, of Africa. Um, there's also different variations as far as um, the, the virus itself that we're seeing in certain areas. So yeah, monkeypox, like every other virus, will continue to have small changes. If there are fitness advantages, that um, fitness advantage variant will, will circulate. Um, so yeah, there, there, there is the expectation that there'll be changes over time. Um, and then as that happens, we'll have to make new recommendations. 
Can you clarify the fitness piece? Sure. I mean, this is something we've we've hopefully learned a, a lot about with um, with COVID nineteen with the SARS CoV two virus is that the the virus is is basically um, competing against other variants um, for spread through the community, um, and so it, if it has the ability to more quickly go from infection to manifesting disease, if it has the ability to instead of infecting just three people, it can infect six people, um, if it has the ability to have higher inoculum up in the upper airways and spread. Um, now move to monkeypox, same principle. If you can end up with more virus in that rash, if you can have a higher rate of transmission instead of just 10% of household contacts, if a change allows 20% of household contacts to get infected, um, you're going to start to see that more fit virus outcompete the other. Interesting. That's very interesting. So when they do morph, will the vaccine have to morph? So not necessarily. Um, that's something we can keep track of. Um, and part of that, um, that barrier to, um, to infection, that barrier to disease, which is really what our vaccines protect us against, um, part of it is the antibodies, right? And that's easier for things to escape. But the other side is our T-cell um, response, our T-cell protection. Um, so if that's robust, if that continues to protect us here, um, we may actually be able to stick with the original vaccines that we've been using. Um, and I have to say, maybe I'm being optimistic, um, but most scientists um, would suggest that this is a virus where that probably will be the case. We've had a drastic reduction in, well, not drastic, but we've had a reduction in the number of cases across the country. What do you attest that? Or what, what do you, what's the reason for that? Yeah, no, I, I think dramatic, drastic. I think those are all the, the right okay. reference. I mean, this really shot up, um, you know, thousands of cases. Um, and now we're down to, you know, less than a dozen cases per day. Um, there were a number of factors that allowed this to get under control. So um, number one, actually, I have to say the target population was not um, falling victim to misinformation, the anti-science campaigns. Um, this was a population that was well aware of the, the power of, of science. Um, and so they were very quick and proactive to get get tested, to get diagnosed. We really had a lot of scenarios where the patient um, would go to a center um, and the, even the clinicians would sort of laugh it off. You don't need to be tested for that. They would really be proactive. They would get that diagnosis. So that was one thing, getting that diagnosis. Um, two, once they had the diagnosis, very interested in what does the science tell me as far as what I should do at this point, as far as my own care, which I do at this point as far as protecting others. Um, we also did have um, effective um, vaccines, um, you know, a little bit of a, a bump in the road there, but they were rolled out. Now over a million effective vaccines um, were, were distributed and, and given to a population that, that really was making sure and proactive about getting that protection. Um, I think that there were a, a num number of factors that really helped us in this situation. And maybe these are lessons of a more successful um, control than, than has happened in other situations. Right, right. Very interesting. You talked about the incubation period and how they could be spreading it to others during those first three weeks, for example. Do they have to have the, the lesions or pustules on them in order to do that? Or could it, they not even be aware that they have it and have contact and spread it? 
So this this is great. I think you sort of bring me right into my my terminology uh, primer. Um, and so there's a couple things to think about here. So uh, an individual is exposed, um, and now they're in this incubation period. And we think that until they actually get sick, until they actually have active lesions, um, they're not contagious to others. Um, that is probably true 99% of the time. And that period of time can be five days out to three weeks, right? So it can be a pretty long period of time. Then the individual starts to develop a rash. Um, they start to have the viral laden vesicles um, and they might continue to be contagious to others for four to five weeks. Um, so really a pretty long period of time here. Are they itchy? Um, more pain actually, more okay. of a burning. Um, a lot of people describe it as feeling like the area was burned. Is it similar to a shingles sensation? Or? You know, interesting. Think of it as really bad shingles. Um, yeah, the, the pain, um, you know, the pain can be really severe, as I think people are aware with with shingles. Um, the pain here is is um, like the worst case of shingles you've ever had. Uh, yeah, that doesn't sound pleasant at all. So obviously in diagnosis, it's not going to be on one side of the body with MPOX. You're going to get it wherever. Yeah, no, actually, and that that is helpful to be thinking about it, right? We always have these, um, you know, these clues, diagnostic clues, um, our, our shingles, um, you know, zoster rash is going to be a dermatomal spread. It's going to be only on one side of the body. Um, the 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 MPOX rash can be all over the place, um, you know. So, but does it? spread across the body or it will, you may have it on a forearm. I know you mentioned some on the face in our last yeah, episode. Yeah, no, this is great. So it doesn't tend to have that spreading um, description. It tends to have a little areas crop up all over the place. So there probably is a hema, hematogenous spread to different areas. Um, there's a lot of discussion. Um, you know, the, the first lesion is that where you were inoculated, is that where you were exposed? Probably, but not necessarily. Pox by themselves are pretty interesting. So how does this differ from chicken pox? Yeah, so it, it differs in a, in a number of ways, but chickenpox is actually a good good referent, a good thing to think about. Um, so the pox viruses in general present as this pox rash. You know, there's a pox group of viruses, um, but we recognize them clinically as the, the vesicles um, ultimately leading to these pox um, lesions. Um, chickenpox, right, um, predominantly something we saw um, younger individuals get. Um, chicken pox parties when I was a kid, vaccines yes. now, um, sort of <laughs> glad that we moved on to that. One of my early childish childhood memories was my mom having me play with the uh, girl in the duplex who had a rash. And a week later, I had a rash and I knew something was up there. Um, <laughs> so the chicken pox then is in the system. It stays dormant, um, and then later it can erupt again. Um, if it is a, a childhood, um, it's usually um, usually contact. But one of the things we talk about is there's respiratory, pretty significant respiratory with with chicken pox. Um, with the mpox virus here, um, it is mostly contact. Um, you see more pustules than you tend to see with chicken pox, but don't use that, you know, as a as a um, hard, fast rule. Um, sure. With the chicken pox, all of the vesicles tend to be in the same stage of development, um, where with the smallpox or the mpox, we see vesicles, pustules, often different stages of development. But again, we've seen it where it looks for all the world like a chicken pox. And the other, I think, is is the the seriousness. Um, you know, most of the the 
chickenpox um, infections um, resolve without significant pain. Um, you know, we did used to lose about 100 children a year before we had vaccines. So, um, you know, higher mortality there, interesting enough. So the chickenpox, dormant chickenpox are actually what can lead to shingles, correct? So that's exactly what it is. If you never had chicken pox, you're never going to have shingles. Right. Um, is there a yeah. possibility of dormancy with mpox and yeah. you know, so we not don't, we shingles don't think, necessarily? We don't, yeah. We don't think that there's a dormant or a reactivation um, monkeypox. Um, okay. Good, good, good. And um, you said that it can be contact and it can be airborne. That's interesting. Yeah, it's, it's it's almost always um, contact and almost okay. always significant amounts of contact. But maybe this is okay. sort of a thing to think about. We'll sort of talk about our, our shingles as an example, right? Shingles, when the chickenpox virus erupts, single dermatome, um, a healthy individual, again, it's pretty much contact when they're in the hospital. The door can be open. Again, it's contact. But if it starts to have multiple dermatomes, non-contiguous and immunocompromised person, you can get respiratory. Um, so there, there's some concerns, some evidence that there can be a, um, a respiratory spread to monkeypox as well, um, particularly in the immunocompromised host. Um, so just considering the severity of this disease when hospitalized, we, we take all these precautions. Um, when that individual goes out into the world, we're having them wear a mask, we're having them do all the other things just to uh, you know, minimize as much as possible the chance of transmission. Okay, and you did mention um, significant contact. If they're covered, for example, if I had it on my arm and I have this shirt on or I have it covered with a bandage, still, potential for spreading? Really minimal, minimal. So that's okay. one of the things, you know, if, a, if an individual has a, has a lesion, has a rash, we'll have them cover that. I mean, that really minimizes the risk of transmission. Now, do you have any examples or case studies that you could share with us related to MPOX? So there are a couple couple stories, and I, and I hope they're educational. I'm going to start with the the first, um, which is a patient that was admitted to the to the hospital. This was a woman, um, not a gay man, not a man having sex with men, uh, and they um, they had a number of skin lesions. They were umbilicated pustules, um, so they were admitted to the hospital. Um, initially, dermatology was involved, and the concern was uh, molluscum contagiosum. Um, this was summer of 2022, so people can look back in retrospect and say, weren't they also considering something else? Well, they weren't right. because this was a woman. Um, they reported no, you know, sexual exposures um, to to any um, men that were in a population. Um, initially came in with a few lesions um, and then rapidly progressed while in the hospital to have pustules over uh, much of their body. Actually, really severe pustules and ulcerations in the mouth down into the throat. Um, dermatology quickly fled the scene um, and um, a PCR came back confirming that this was a, um, a case of, um, of MPOX um, in a woman. Um, but because this was a woman, because they did not fall into that demographic, um, the, the diagnosis was delayed. And by the time this woman was started on treatment, um, they were unable to eat or drink. They required IV fluids. They required uh, nutrition through a feeding tube. Um, the Teco Viramat actually had to be given IV because they could not take pills. Um, so 
I think there's a, a couple lessons here. Um, one was the, you know, don't just have your your blinders on and say this only happens in one demographic. Um, one of the things I've been saying for a while, I've sort of updated, you know, MPOX, um, it's not an African disease, it's not a gay disease, it's an infectious disease. Um, right. And so you, you don't need to be in a target population. You don't need to have sex with an infected individual. Um, you can get this if you're a woman, you can get this if you're a child, you can get this if you have contact with things. Um, so sort of a, a case here. Um, now, the other side, which I think is really important, is in the hospital setting. Um, the, the physicians are in and out of that room putting on their PPE. Um, but the, the the nurses, the respiratory therapists, all the other individuals are going in and spending time taking care of this patient. Um, so it really becomes important for lines of communication to be open. Mm -hmm. How's that person doing, right? This, this isolation is going to go on for weeks. Not only are they isolated, but they're isolated, unable to eat, unable to drink, getting um, their IV fluids, getting their, their feeding tube. You know, in this case, this, this woman, you know, talking to the nurse was just really desperate for magazines, something to read, something to occupy or not, not a TV watcher, um, you know, and little things like that, communicating, finding out, finding out from someone who's spending time with the patient and making those connections can be really critical um, in, in helping these individuals through these tough times. Really speaks to that interprofessional communication piece and, you know, recognizing, I, I love that you brought that up because that's such an important piece. We, we talked about this before, but that communication between professionals on, uh, when you're collaborating on care, I did not realize that it could act actually get inside your mouth. So this is something that can go, I mean, any orifice, it can yeah, enter the body our, as well? Some of our, yeah, no, this is great, Leanna. So some of our worst cases were um, individuals who had um, lesions in their mouth, right, preventing them um, from, from eating, drinking, the horrible pain there. Also some really severe cases as far as rectal, um, where every time they would have a, a bowel movement, just incredibly painful. Um, you know, and this is a, a great thing. You know, you're in the hospital, you can't eat or drink, you're in pain, maybe every time you defecate, horribly painful. Um, you know, the doctors come in for their short periods of time, you're, you're not in a good mood, right? Um, no. So this is one of those times when we really see, um, you know, the nursing profession shine, um, really spending the time connecting, um, having that relationship so the patient can tell them, I'm in horrible pain. Every time I um, defecate, it just hurts so bad um, so that pain can be better assessed than just this, you know, once a day or twice a day rounding where you're checking a pain score. Um, really critical to um, have those lines of communication open. Yes, absolutely. And this podcast, this information is is just so valuable for uh, for everyone that's listening. You know, it's going to help with that communication and recognizing those signs. So, where do you think better teamwork collab or communication could have helped make a diagnosis earlier for the delayed um, the delayed case that we talked about uh, the woman that came in that was covered with it. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the first thing is that, um, you know, the, the provider should have been thinking outside the box. They should have said, wait, it's summer of 2022. We've admitted an individual with umbilicated pustules all over their body. Um, this is a 
disease that spreads through contact. Um, you know, we had already seen and reported cases in women and children. Um, so that was that was part of the issue. Um, I think also, you know, more communication when it became clear that these were spreading, that there was a significant amount of pain associated with that, um, that might have prompted the, the, the physicians to order that MPOX um, PCR a little bit sooner. Um, so again, you know, Keep the lines of communication. Talk. Um, you know, always, always be questioning. Do I have the right diagnosis here? So it's interesting. I know I'm, I'm going back to this point again when we talked. When I said I was surprised that it can go in the mouth or the rectum, uh, etc. So once it's on your skin, for example, if it's on your face, can it migrate into your mouth? Is that how this is happening? So the suspicion is that it's getting into the blood system and then it's cropping up in other areas. But you know, as you described. We, we see all these lesions in the mouth, all these lesions in the, in the rectum. So there, there probably is some local spread as well. I don't know if I could throw another, if we have enough time for another story about a, call this the, uh, the, the nurse practitioner who spent the time. <laughs> this yes, was, please. Uh, yeah. yeah, this is another, you know, and I, and I think, you know, the cases that I think are the most um, educational um, are the ones where, where the diagnosis was delayed, right? We, we described, you know, a, a, a man having sex with men, um, goes into the, the urgent care center, advocating for the testing, gets the diagnosis promptly. That's one scenario. Um, but another scenario that I remember quite well um, is we do these weekly urgent care calls. Um, and there was a nurse practitioner on the line, and, and we had actually just talked the day before. And the story here was another woman. This is a woman in her, um, in her 20s. Um, and she had gone to several, we'll say, other urgent care um, centers um, reporting a, a rash. Initially, they said, oh, it's just herpes. No testing was done. She was sent away. Um, saw another urgent care where she was given some Valtrex um, and then finally went to this nurse practitioner. Um, and the nurse practitioner took the time and really realized that, you know, this has been going on for a couple weeks. These are quite painful. Took the time to look at the rash. It really, things did not seem right. Um, went ahead, sent off that PCR, did the swabs, unroofed those lesions, got good samples. Um, actually, was an issue with the lab. She had to do it a second time, um, but then got the result back that this young lady um, had MPOX. Um, but it, it took it took taking the time, um, not just sort of getting through to see that next patient in, in a busy, urgent care. Um, and that allowed the diagnosis to be made. Um, and then this woman then didn't go to spread it to her friends and family and partners and um, those with which she has contact. Uh, but sometimes it's, um, you know, it takes, you know, it takes the time to get the story from the patient. Um, and it was also nice that nurse practitioner then has my cell number, calls me up, we have a discussion, um, we can we can work together and coordinate what's the best thing, um, what happened with that first test that, that didn't come back with a result, how do we get that test done properly? Um, and then once the test was done, does this individual meet criteria for treatment? Not every patient requires treatment. Not every patient is going to have a bad outcome. And I, I think this is also a, um, a good example, right? I mean, we could have gone a different way, right? She, this young lady could have gone to another urgent care where they were primary care. They could have swabbed it. They could have made a diagnosis of herpes and then said, now we know what it is and then been done with it. Um, and as we saw, about a third of the time, um, individuals would have something else also. So if you just looked for um, for herpes, if you just looked for shingles, if you just looked for a bacterial skin infection um, and found that, um, you might then stop. And, and as I always say, um, Hickam was not a physician. Uh, 
or is Occam was not a physician. Um, yes. He has that that razor, that idea that you can only have one thing at a time, and and patients can have more than one thing at a time. And I think our studies with MPOX were really clear. Um, about thirty percent of the time, something else was going on. So just because you find something else, um, don't stop there. Um, keep looking. Uh, make sure that you're not missing something that you could treat. Excellent. Uh, that example was perfect when we talk about interprofessional and talking about health, health, health team communication, because patients are part of that team. So they took the time to have that conversation and also collaborated with you. Can you tell us, you talked about recognizing the rash. We've talked a lot about MPOX in, in this episode and the last one, obviously, but what do they look like, these lesions or pustules? How do they differ from another rash? Do they have like a white head? Are they red or any particular size? Just yeah, I mean the, the classic lesions, you know, and we saw we saw a fair number of the classic lesions. Not everything was atypical, um, but the the classic is uh, starting off with a vesicle. So this is a think of it as a blister, small, about half a half an inch or smaller, um, starting off with fluid. And one of the interesting things they tend to have a thicker roof, so then your um, your classic chicken pox or herpes. Um, then the fluid starts to turn to pus, so now they they turn white, um, and then often the pustules at this point will then umbilicate. So they'll actually start to get a dimpling in at the top. Um, so, and often we see that, uh, particularly if you take time and follow an individual um, you know, over several days. They may not come in initially um, with such an obvious presentation, um, but a large number of the individuals. I, I remember quite well one patient who unfortunately spent five days weeks in isolation, um, who had a lesion right right on the tip of his nose. And so we got to follow the evolution of that over time. Um, first starting when I saw him initially as a, a clear vesicle. This is not the one that was on roof for the diagnosis. It was somewhere else. So we got to watch the evolution go from clear to pustule to umbilicated to finally rupture to scabbed to finally um, actually have new wow. skin grow over that. Wow, that is interesting. Well, that's good to know as well when we're assessing from a nurse intervention standpoint um, when we see someone come in and present like that. Uh, has it when you talk misdiagnosed? I know it's you just gave some examples of things that they thought it was when that young woman was going from urgent care to urgent care. Is there anything else that it has been misinterpreted as? Has it come? Yeah. People have they thought it was shingles at some point? It was on one side of the body or? Yeah. So no, there's a there's a good list, and I'll sort of just run through it. So herpes seems to be the number one people think about. Um, shingles has has also been um, brought up. Um, cellulitis, mm. um, you know, folliculitis. Um, I thought it was quite. I was joking with one of my colleagues about all the young men at Fire Island who were developing adult onset acne. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, there really is is kind of a list of of skin diseases uh, that that really uh, people you know maybe they they wanted it to be that and not be the mpox uh, infection um, and sure. sometimes it is that plus the mpox infection and that's probably right. the most important lesson mm, right right wow that that is tricky goodness sakes okay so this is going to be around for a while. As you said, um, unfortunately, yeah, and and I think maybe that's a great place for us to close. It's going to be around for a while in the U.S. 
in Western Europe, but it has been around for a while in um, in Africa. And so hopefully people won't just forget about the, the rest of the world. You know, I would say that, you know, no one's safe until everyone is safe. So hopefully now that we've got it under control here and we have vaccines and we have medicines, um, you know, it's it's time to reach out to the rest of the world. Um, otherwise, it's just going to happen again. And even so, if it doesn't uh, happen again, it's still a human tragedy that all these people are suffering when we have vaccines, yes. when we have effective therapies. So um, in countries like Africa, if, if, if you were traveling somewhere where there were uh, a lot of cases, obviously, should you get vaccinated before you travel or do they have it under control with vaccination or? Yeah, so the, the risk for a traveler is quite low. I'm heading to Uganda, uh, well, in about an hour. And, um, you know, there, there are cases there. Um, but no, it's for, for a traveler, um, even for someone myself who will be in clinics and around patients, um, you know, the risk of transmission is low. Um, so, yeah, in general, we don't recommend or, or encourage vaccination. But um, there actually, we just heard that um, South Korea is going to be donating um, vaccines. Um, so there is movement to get vaccines to areas that really um, could benefit from it. Fantastic. Well, that's just great. This is really good information. I really appreciate, we really appreciate you uh, sharing your expertise with us on this topic. It's such valuable information. Um, and thank you for being such an advocate for interprofessional communication. That's huge. Uh, we, we love that. So um, you, you've taken the time to educate us and, and it's been excellent. The whole, the whole series has been really, really good. So thank you so much for joining us and spending your time with us. We appreciate it. Oh, thank you. And everyone be safe. Yes. And thanks to our listeners. Thank you for coming in and listening to this uh, interesting topic. Very timely. And um, please check out all of the other courses that are available on EliteLearning.com. There is a wealth of information out there to help us with our practice. This is Leanna McGuire for Elite Learning with Calibri Healthcare. This podcast featured content from an accredited CE activity provided by Calibri Healthcare. Visit EliteLearning.com slash podcasts for accreditation and disclosure statements and instructions on how you may be able to earn CE credits. Take your learning to the next level by subscribing to more podcasts on compelling healthcare topics.